Well, hello, and welcome to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul, and I am not an animal expert. If you are listening to this, it's because you are subscribed to the Podfix Presents channel, and maybe you've never heard the Varmints Podcast before, so welcome. Varmints is a podcast that is all about animals. We talk about their physical and behavior characteristics, uh, where they show up in pop culture, how smart and how edible we think they might be, and even some trivia about that animal, things that you might have never known before. Our shows are family-friendly, and they're about 45 minutes long. The show has been around for a little while now, about three years, and uh, we were very, very happy to join the Podfix Network at the beginning of 2020. There are some really amazing shows on the network, so to be part of it is just a real honor. So, here are some bite-sized samples from some of our recent shows. If you like what you hear, you can check out full episodes on Podbean or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Hope you enjoy it, and be nice to animals. But first, the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. A guy named Josh Phillips saw something weird while he was fly fishing in the Eld Inlet in Olympia, Washington. He saw a small boat tilted upward and slowly sinking. As he got closer, he saw the problem and he recorded it on video. I did not include the the, uh, the audio from this video because there's a lot of wind noise and it was... It would drive you nuts. Right. Uh, in this video, there are two sea lions who appear very calm, with the boat beneath them struggling against the mammal's immense weight. <laughs> so how many sea lions does it take to sink a boat? Two. That depends on... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in this case, it was two. I was going to go into a, a long explanation involving physics, but yeah, in this case, it was two big sea lions. <laughs> Uh, a trip was made out to where the boat was the next day, and at the time this article was published, it was at the bottom of the Eld Inlet. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I was going to go into a whole explanation on, you know, how much the boat weighs and how much water it displaces and then how much each sea lion weighs, but uh, yeah, you just kind of... It's two. <laughs> it's two. <laughs> well, two big males, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to steal your sea lion boat sinking thunder. No, <laughs> just cut to the chase. It's two sea lions. <laughs> <laughs> and the picture is great, too, because they're just kind of looking at the camera like, hey, what's up? How's it going? What's up, dude? Yeah. <laughs> boat's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> Always wanted a boat. <laughs> of my own. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's the best. <laughs> a cow is an animal called a ruminant, which means that they have several stomachs, right? Yes. Inside a cow's stomach region, there are four separate digestive areas. The first part where the food goes in is called the rumen. That's the biggest part, and it holds up to 50 gallons of partially digested food because they've just chewed it, and this is where the cud goes. So good bacteria inside the rumen helps soften and digest the food, and it gives the cow the protein they need. Then it heads on to the reticulum. That's the part of the stomach that's the 
sort of the place where stuff gets done. Because it's where the cow, <laughs> if it eats something it shouldn't have, like a piece of fencing or a rubber glove or, you know, whatever, because they'll eat anything. And right. it lodges there in the reticulum. However, the contractions of the reticulum can force the object into the peritoneal cavity where it can cause inflammation. Nails and screws can perforate the heart if you're not careful. So you have to be super careful with cows with this. The grass that's been eaten is also softened further in this stomach section and it's formed into a tiny little wads of cud. And each cud returns to the cow's mouth and is chewed 40 to 60 times and then they swallow it properly. The other part of the stomach is the omasum. This is the part of the stomach that's a filter. It filters all the food that the cow eats, and the cud is pressed and broken down even further here. And then the final place is called the abomasum. A-B-O-M-A-S-U-M. This part of the stomach is like the human stomach, and it's connected to the intestines. So that's the final phase before it goes into the final processing to make it into cow poop. Because the food finally is digested by the stomach juices and the essential nu nutrients that the cow needs go into the bloodstream. Everything else goes out and is cow poop. <laughs> and they included a tiny little poem about the cow's stomach, which is really cute. Oh, cool. Brown cow. No wonder you're always eating on the plains and on the hill. Brown cow, you're no doubt hungry. You have four stomachs to fill. Ha ha ha. Don't give up your day job, but uh, okay. <laughs> that was delightful. It was great. They're always chewing. Like yes. they're always, always, always chewing. Yep, for sure. They look like valley girls. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you see a cow chew in her cud, you're going to go, oh my god. <laughs> 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 What's the matter with you? Aren't you hungry? Aren't you going to eat that? Come on, eat! <laughs> <laughs> that yes. voice is the voice of my wife, Jennifer. She is from Rhode Island originally, and she is no stranger to eating lobster. She prefers to buy it um, in the form yeah. of lobster tail or lobster rolls or, or something like that. But yeah, we're we're eating lobsters, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And dipped in butter. Yeah. Yes. I love the people that are always like, well, you know, they're very good for you if you don't include the butter. What planet are you on that you would eat the <laughs> lobster without the butter? That, that is the saddest thing I've ever heard. I know. It's why like, would you, you do know, that? Why would you do that to yourself? What sort of life do you have? Are you Are you in some sort of you know, ascetic order that you have to deny yourself pleasure or something? Yeah. Like, why would you even, yeah. And I'm going to talk yeah. about it in here in just a second, but if you're paying that much for lobster, enjoy the lobster. Just enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Get a little cup of butter and just, we have a place here that sells lobster rolls and they're not oh, cheap. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But it's basically just a bun with probably a, at least a whole tail and both claws worth of meat when i went to visit my friends in new hampshire we had lobster rolls and yeah. they were not expensive because of course it's new england and they have a lot of lobster out there and they were delicious wonderful yeah bread and lobster meat are you kidding me bread lobster meat and butter that's the only ingredients 
There's nothing else that you need. Except maybe some FiberCon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Find dear. time to eat a vegetable at some point in your day. <laughs> yeah. That's probably why they give you the little cup of coleslaw with the lunch. Yeah, that's roll. it. They're like, no, nah, trust us. Just eat it. Yeah, it helps, <laughs> helps get it through. <laughs> and conveniently, the meaty bits are not on the front where they pee out of their face. <laughs> yes. That is convenient. <laughs> ah, sweet. So I can see from our notes that you notice the historical significance of people eating lobsters. Yes, that is correct. Let's talk about that. Mama always said that ponies can't dream. Yeah, well, I heard that dogs are made of rope. Our animalologists have been working tirelessly at your local library to combat misinformation and bring you this edition of Animal Fact of the Week. Yeah, so here's the little history behind the lobster that we eat today. Lobsters were not always a delicacy. Back when the first European settlers reached North America, they wrote that there were so many lobsters that piles up to two feet high would wash ashore in Massachusetts. My gosh, that's a lot of lobster. Yeah, and whether or not this is hyperbole, we do know that these settlers did not want to eat them. They called them the cockroaches of the sea. Ha! Yep. Shows what they knew. <laughs> Lobsters were so plentiful and so undesirable that they were commonly used as fertilizer and fish bait by the colonists. Wow. But pretty soon, colonists began to figure out that they could eat lobster. And there was a ton of them. So the lobster meat became an emergency source of protein. If there was a bad season or a bad harvest, you could, you could survive on lobster. They were used as food for poor people, prisoners, slaves, apprentices as a way to save money. There are even accounts of dock workers and prisoners rioting because of being fed too many meals with lobster meat. Wow. I wonder how, how, did, how did it change? How did they begin to realize they could eat them? Like, one day did somebody spill some butter accidentally on it? And, <laughs> well, and it was like this farmer, fisherman or whatever, was like, Martha! Martha, come on in here. <laughs> Taste this lobster. What are you talking about, Zebediah? <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't happen quite like that, but two things happened during the 1800s. And those two things were canned food and railway transportation. Canning meant that lobster was available to people in the middle of the country that had never had lobster before, and it was cheap, so it became one of the most popular canned products available. People all over the country could get canned lobster and enjoy it. And railway transportation meant that all of those people in the middle of the country that were eating the canned lobster that they were getting off the trains, they could af get affordable tickets to travel out to those coastal American cities to get the real thing. And all of a sudden, lobster started getting really expensive because when you have a lot of something lying around and tourists are willing to pay for it, you charge as much as you can for it. Right. So in the 1880s, prices began to surge. Restaurants serving lobsters were not only charging a premium price for it, but they were also selling cookbooks with lobster recipes, so you could do this at home. By World War II, lobster was considered a delicacy, which meant that it was not rationed and the wealthy could eat as much lobster and shellfish as they wanted to. 
which further increased its status as something that rich people eat. And that has continued down to this day. Even when market prices are relatively low, restaurants can still charge a premium on any dish that has a lobster in it. Wow. Yeah. So that's how fertilizer turns into gourmet food. Oh my goodness, that is crazy. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. This has been a transmission of the Podfix Network. For more about this show and other great Podfix programs, go to podfixnetwork.com.